backroom politics. And good, out there. good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio from a, uh, a very coast-to-coast version of the show today. I am your host and moderator, Justin Russell, joining you from Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada. Joining me from New York City, she is the former attorney for the Hillary Clinton 2016 campaign in Ohio. She is the bar licensed lawyer in New York and the great state of New Jersey. She is the one we know as Sharmila Chari. Hello, Sharmila. Hello, Justin. Greetings from the sunny Big Apple. Ah, beautiful. And joining me from the Commonwealth of Virginia, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce who served that last calendar for presidents. He is longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington insider, and a very distinguished fellow at the Simpson Center. He is the man we is Honorable Alan Moore. Alan, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Justin. Good, good, good. We've got a lot to talk about. Busy, busy show today. Uh, We're going to start off with breaking news right now. Politico is reporting right now that uh, presidential son-in-law and advisor to the stars, Jared Kushner, has in fact had his clearance downgraded to a secret from an interim top-secret SCI, which means that Jared Kushner effectively loses all access to the top-secret intelligence, the presidential daily briefing, a lot of a lot of very uh, state-secrety type stuff. He's not going to have access to uh, that. Again, just breaking, according to Politico, an article that just came out. I want to thank uh, I want to thank our friend and our associate producer, Audrey Howerton, who pointed that out, caught it at the last minute and told us about it. Um, this coming after a really bad week of uh, turmoil, uh, bad policy wrangling inside the White House, tweet storms as a result of uh, president, uh, the president not being entertained, I guess, on Sundays. He loves tweeting on Sundays. Lots going on. Let's start with let's start with the 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 news about this, the Jared Kushner, which will also tie into the in, the Russian information that we're going to talk about too. But we'll start with this. Uh, also joining us on the line, he is bar certified attorney in the District of Columbia and the great state of Maryland. He is former Joe Biden political operative and longtime Democratic mole, Dan Lipner. Dan Lipner Esquire, how you doing, Dan? I'm I'm doing okay. Still waiting for my. Security clearance too. over me as well. Uh, well, I hope I hope it comes soon. I really do. Uh, here, so here's the great thing about for, it. For it to come, for it to come, in order to get clearance, they have to ask for clearance. So I think you got to get that first step, Dan, before you can actually get the clearance. Uh, minor technicality. Uh, Let's wait for the admiral talks on. Let's wait for the admiral, and we'll talk about that. Let's get to this, though. Uh, Since you two are debating already, we've already heard your voices, let's go to Sharmila. Sharmila, is is this really a big news story in the grand scheme of things, uh, that Jared Kushner, the son-in-law, has lost or has had his security clearance downgraded and is no longer to be a part of the big sensitive intel stuff? 
Well, absolutely, considering the wide scope of Jared Kushner's, you know, alleged portfolio and the fact that President Trump doesn't have any backup to him. It's unclear who Jared Kushner's deputies are or who the other major, you know, policy minds are working on the Office of American Innovation or Middle East Peace or the opioid crisis or any of the other myriad issues that Jared Kushner is working on. And so especially when you think about the... um, the situation in the Middle East, Jared Kushner has been the only public face of the administration working on uh, Israeli-Arab peace talks. And so if he is deprived of access to classified information, who else is working on these issues? What else is the administration doing other than tasking Jared Kushner with solving all of this? Uh, Alan Moore, is, I mean, is, is there a reason other than the fact that he's had a security clearance downgraded? I mean, is there any other reason why this should change Jared Kushner's role in the White House as you see it? Well, the Middle East uh, role is the big one because that's where he's not only dealing with uh, very high-level information, but it's high-level information that comes to us um, using sources and methods that are in and of themselves uh, often the, uh, uh, the biggest reason uh, for, for their highest-level clearance. Now, having said that, um, what we don't know and what, I, what I've not seen anybody talk about is what we can expect in coming weeks um, or month or two. My hunch is that this is a real embarrassment for the, the administration, for the White House, in that it's been more than a year since he's been operating under this temporary clearance. And I'm willing to bet <laughs> that Jared Kushner is now at the top of everybody's list in terms of we need to finish this. We need to clear up these remaining questions and get either get that top secret clearance in place or move in a whole different direction. Um, he, he can't function, particularly in the Middle Eastern role, um, for very long, for very well, without having access to, uh, to, to the highest level um, uh, uh, material and I don't know what's holding it up, uh, but whatever it is, if it if it can't get cleared in the fairly near future, um, he 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 can't function, and I I can't see him staying. And to piggyback so, Alan's point, the the, yeah, he gets the question: what what is the issue that is holding up the clearance, and how important is that to untangling? you know, Jared Kushner's suitability for the roles he's been assigned and whether or not any conflicts of interest exist. I think that's the story that people are missing and that people are going to start digging into now that his clearance has been downgraded and now that he's been denied that top-level clearance. What is the dating item? Well, and and I agree, and I I want to get Dan. Dan, your take on this as far as, I mean, is this a fact that uh, Jared Kushner's entire real estate holding portfolio is at least – halfway intertwined with just about every foreign player that we're concerned about, including Russia? The, the, the essence of the problem is Damn. we don't know. Uh, can you not hear We can hear you now. Can you can't hear. Okay. No, uh, the essence of the problem is that we don't know. And there's the, I mean, this is the not dissimilar from the issue with the president's taxes. There's a whole lot that we don't know, 
And I imagine it's the same stuff that we don't know about Jared, the same stuff we don't know about the president and the intelligence agencies. Uh, and while doing the background check, while they can't, they can't claim to care as much about the president, they can claim to care a whole lot about everyone below the president. And so as long as people are playing fast and loose with the facts and Jared's had to revise his FBI uh, uh, his his FBI uh, paperwork multiple times because uh, of overlooking things because seemingly he can't find the best and brightest people to pay to make sure all of his paperwork is in line. Uh, so the question is what is what is the there there? And I'm I'm hoping uh, Congressman Gowdy, who said he was going to uh, start an inquiry into uh, who's been seeing what classified information and how that's been handled and who has what security clearances while they've been handling it, I hope he follows through with it. I don't expect he will, but I'm hoping he does. <clears throat> but, Alan Moore, it, it, it strikes me as being a situation where uh, his wife, Ivanka, is working under an interim clearance. Uh, she still we don't serves know that. as a – we don't know that? No. What, what do you mean we don't know that? I mean, would, I don't know would, if she has a security she, clearance or not. I, I, maybe you know. Yeah. I don't know. No, no, no. I, we, we, what we've seen reports on is that she, in fact, is working under a interim clearance of some sort. What we don't know is the level. Uh, but she's working under some sort. Yeah, that's but, new. But the that's, question that, goes back. Yeah, I. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Well, no. So, so I have not seen those reports. They may exist, and I just missed them. So I don't know what her clearance is, um, and I don't see any reason for the White House to make a big deal of it. I don't know if she was on this list, of, and I don't know if she ever had interim top secret, which is what Jared had, because she's she's got a different portfolio. It's a it's a domestic portfolio that that doesn't mean she doesn't need a, a certain clearances, but she doesn't need the top secret clearance to, to do her job. So she may have a different clearance. It may be adequate for her role. I don't know that. Uh, she's not really, you know, and she's not been a, a major uh, subject of conversation. Now, maybe she was on the list of the 80 or 100 or so people that had been operating under interim clearances for, for a very long time. At different levels, which she was, um, it, which, which, which she no no which she was, uh, according to both the LA Times, the Washington Examiner, and uh, NBC News, uh, Ivanka was one of the hundred names on the list regarding interim clearance and working as a senior advisor in the White House. I mean, I mean, let's be honest about this, Alan. This is a woman that uh, I, I mean, for and, and it's not uh, it's nothing against. Her ability to maybe perform the work, I find Ivanka a very good representative of the United States, particularly abroad. She's very charming. She's uh, very intelligent. Uh, she's very well spoken on a lot of the issues. Um, I, I, this is not about her, but this is about a bigger problem that they have in the in the White House, and that is the issue of this long-term nepotism that seems to be going on inside the Trump administration. My question to you, Alan, and, and I'll go around the horn on this, is you know, if, if Jared Kushner's is pulled, uh, and that means that he is going to be pulled out of dealing with the issues of the Middle East, when we see Ivanka Trump 
going and leading a delegation to uh, South Korea to close out the Olympics and having meetings on behalf of the federal government with the president of uh, with President Moon, the president of, Korea, of South Korea, that to me seems that she should be next in line to have this access downgraded. And would that prevent her from flying all over the world and representing the U.S. interests? It, it, all, de- it all depends on what kind of a role she has. Um, I, I have no reason to believe that she, was, that she even had interim top secret, which is what Jared had. Because Jared, Jared could apparently see the daily briefings that the president gets, uh, as well as uh, just about anything, um, all on an interim basis. As I understand what happened today was that, that, that he and anybody else presumably who had interim top secret was dropped to interim secret. So they didn't get dropped off the list and are told you can't come into your office, you can't have conversations, you can't read any paper, that's, that's, that, that it was no, a downgrade from top secret to secret. No, no, I'm saying. Yeah, so no, no. I, it's not like he, I opened up with that. It's but not like he can't. But what it does do is. Precisely, but you're saying. You know, then you're applying it to her, and whether she had top secret and now has secret, I don't know. But I don't know why she needed top secret. Even if she's going to go to South Korea and have a couple of meetings, you can get briefed um, uh, without digging into top secret material. It happens all the time. The people people pay close attention. Um, to what kind of clearances folks have. And, all, and there are times where people say, um, it, we invite anybody who doesn't have proper clearance to leave the room. Or a person may say, I need to leave the room. Um, and so uh, her, her, all I'm saying about her role is it has never primarily been about uh, uh, international uh, uh, interactions and you know, what, is thought, what is top secret material both in content as well as the the, uh, but, but the Alan, sources and methods. Let me, inter- let, me interrupt, let me interrupt real quick, Alan. Then why even have her go for the? I mean, again, you know, going off of news reports from uh, NBC, the Washington Examiner, even the Washington Post has reported that she, in fact, is working in the White House as a top-level advisor to the president with an interim top secret. If that's the case, why even have her? be put into the loop to have a top secret SCI, even at an interim level, if she's not doing anything that involves national security or national defense. <laughs> I, I don't know, but it may be that at the very beginning, they, they weren't sure what all she might be doing. And since they were giving interims anyway, you might as well give her one. And then when, when it's a, this massive embarrassment of how many people don't have the proper clearance and, and, and General Kelly is the one who's, who's sort of in the focus here, uh, says we're, we're, we're changing everything, we're, we're not going to continue this. Uh, he lays out a policy, it's announced today, and a bunch of people are downgraded. And maybe some people are kicked off, I don't know. But I, I don't I don't. I'm not sure what what you're getting at with uh, uh, with with Ivanka. You threw in nepotism. No, I don't think any of us think it was a great idea to to have family members in uh, at senior levels in the White House, uh, including uh, in-laws. Um, it's not illegal. 
it's not it's not particularly appropriate uh but it's it's and it can it can lead to embarrassing uh, situations but but back to the point of of her she's actually one of the more popular american uh, uh government officials that that are out there today and my understanding at the olympics was that the south korean president when given a choice of a couple of people said Hey, send Ivanka. We'd love to have Ivanka. So off she went. Um, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have a. It's awkward because of the fact that she's there in the first place. But it could have been Melania who they asked for, and maybe she would have. That Mrs. Trump, and maybe she would have gone. Um, it, 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 well, it, I mean, never, I mean, it never well, came up. Getting, but these are these off. are ceremonial I mean, visits. It still requires her. Well, let me let me go to Dan Lipner real quick because Dan, you know, when when I look at this, um, number one, both of them, and I think that in knowing the process the way I do of the way somebody gets a security clearance, that if if, if Jared Kushner's is downgraded, so must go Melania just because of the husband and wife status. I think because they're intertied in uh, Ivanka rather. Uh, the uh, because of the interaction of both of the, or the intertwining of both of their uh, finances and everything like that, to me it still seems odd that uh, you would have. And by the way, we haven't mentioned the fact that the president can still override this. The president can still say, "I want him to have clearance. I trust him as the ultimate authority." For uh, national security, he he is the uh, the master adjudicator, if you will. So Dan Lipner, does it not seem odd to you that we're having to have this discussion, and now because of this downgrade, we may see the president have to insert himself and upgrade his his daughter and his son-in-law, which would take nepotism way beyond anything Kennedy asked. Um. Well, the whole thing is odd from the start of this presidency uh, up until now. So suggesting that this is somehow odder is, uh, I don't know, a, a bit of a needless reach. It's you, you just need to like look over to find something else that's odd and unusual, peculiar with the White House. Um, as far as the being downgraded, yeah, I mean, to some extent, uh, I mean, it's, it's always the president's prerogative to grant somebody a security clearance or even to downgrade something entirely. It's entirely an executive function. And the president is, at the end of the day, the top decision maker on that. And if he wants to declare something declassified, he can. That is the prerogative of the president. And the more interesting thing is, though we haven't heard the president himself say this, and uh, so he has deniability there, it's come through that supposedly through his spokespeople, that he was going to allow the, the process to to go forward and anyone who couldn't get a security clearance would not get a security clearance, and that would be the end of it, that he was not going to be granting presidential waivers on it. Now, do I think that, that you could hold them to that? No, because we haven't been able to hold the president or this White House to pretty much anything. So th- there's nothing there's nothing new there other than the if you look back in time, to either the most recent election talking about the, the mishandling of classified information or going through the, the Bush administration with the, uh, the security issues there and Valerie Plame and a few other things, 
to the Bill Clinton administration uh, on issues of security clearances and then First Lady Hillary Clinton not having a security clearance and not and never even having an interim security clearance uh, and that never even being in the process that 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 was a thing. So the bigger yeah. issue here is Republicans somehow have been very very selective on on how they've chosen to look at classified information and who has access to it and whether or not they choose to have a temper tantrum about it being mishandled. Sharma, is this is this just smoke? That's part of a deeper fire right now. I think yes. I think again, it's going to depend on what is the issue that's holding back these security clearances and what what is preventing these officials who are tasked with solving some of our nation's most dire problems. What is the issue that's preventing them from getting the clearance required to do that? And do those present conflicts of interest or any other sort of like ethical or national security reasons for them not being able to perform those duties or retain those clearances? And that's what the real fire is. And I can't emphasize that enough. So I think that to the extent that this prompts greater scrutiny either from Congress or from the media about the root of these, um, the root of these conflicts, the root of these blockages, that's what's going to be the real story coming down the pike. Dan Lettner, do you think that this is a result of possibly uh, the intertwining of the Mueller investigation? Could that have a possibility of, of being an issue? It could be part of the Mueller uh, investigation. That said, from what little I know of Jared's finances and, and who his uh... – oh, did I lose you? Oh, we lost Dan. Um, okay. Alan, so, yeah, let me add on one. This, we're going to move on real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Alan. No, well, let me make one more one additional comment because you were linking uh, Ivanka and Jared, and we don't know uh, the extent to which their finances their finances are linked. And if 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 Jared's problems have to do with uh, his the investments that he brought to the that he that he inherited and brought to the marriage, um, and and had to do with his work, uh, some of which he divested. Uh, and some of which he apparently still owns. Um, and even if it was divested back to family members, there may be a question of does he have a future right to uh, to recover uh, some of those. It can get very complicated. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if that's part of the hang-up with him. That doesn't necessarily affect Ivanka. She's got issues of her own. She's got her own uh, wealth, her own uh, investments. Uh, she had to divest some, uh, some company interests uh, herself. Um, uh, and, uh, and so, but you, you said they were the same and I'm saying, no, not necessarily. Uh, he's got his issues. She's got her issues. They may have some joint issues. We don't know. Yeah. The reality is that they're a long married couple and they have several children. So I can't imagine, yes, they they could have some portions of separate finances, but I can't imagine that at some point their finances aren't some in some way linked. Well, I, I am uh, – yeah. I, I think that there's more to this. I think we're going to find out. I think Trey Gowdy's going to lead the uh, a possible investigation of this. But uh, there's other problems that the White House has right now, and that is the fact that the special counsel's office has been really, really busy of recent, uh, to the point where now, late, late last week, uh, former – 
campaign uh, former campaign leadership member uh, and uh, former uh, former inaugural committee leader. Uh, 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 I forget his first name. Gates, help me out here, guys. Rick Gates. First Rick, name. Rick Gates. Rick Gates. Rick. Thank you. Thank you. Rick Gates pled guilty last week uh, to a couple of felony charges, which adds more fire to the and more pressure to the Manafort connection. Uh, Alan Moore, since kind of uh, departed with you last, I'll let you go first on this one. Is this now something that shows that we're getting really, really close to seeing this investigation either run its course or lead to bigger and better things? We don't know. Um, if you're Paul Manafort, it was a very bad day when uh, it was announced that, that Rick Gates uh, had uh, had negotiated a plea with Mueller because Gates and Manafort were j- joined at the hip. If you read the indictments, uh, both round one and then round two, and then there was, of course, a third round that only had to do with Manafort that dropped last Friday. Um, but but uh, uh, Gates and and Manafort were basically charged with with uh, very similar, in some cases I- identical uh, felonies, although it, in different amounts of money, and, and that was not defined. Um, Manafort, being the senior partner, presumably had a much a much greater financial uh, stake in all of this, and has much more exposure financially uh, to the extent that tax evasion. Um, uh, was uh, uh, w- was at issue, and it seems to be a critical uh, issue and one that can put enormous pressure on a person who's already um, got cash flow challenges. Um, so here's Gates in a position now, and he has to deliver. Um, he can't hold stuff back anymore or deny anymore, basically sharing with Mueller everything he knows about what he and Manafort did for years um, uh, on the money laundering, on the tax evasion, on the representing uh, foreign interests uh, without uh, uh, registering with, with the federal government. So to the extent that Manafort was hoping that they could maintain a, a united front, um, he, Manafort's in huge trouble. Does that mean that the president's in trouble? That does that mean that Manafort might then have to decide? Good God, I'm I, I'm between the rock and the hard place and the giant black hole, and so my only hope uh, is to cut some kind of a deal with Mueller. But what does Manafort have to give to Mueller at this point? Does he have smoking gun material on? The president, we don't know, and not necessarily. It's pretty obvious that right. Manafort was was doing a lot of this stuff uh, to feather his own nest, and um, we just don't know to what extent that that uh, the the president might have been aware of or party to uh, any of what uh, the president was doing. And there's no assurance that anybody can can really give that the president was part of it. We don't know. The and joining us now Mueller from the love. Commonwealth of – oh, I'm sorry about that, Alan. Just joining us now from the Commonwealth of 
Virginia. He is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He is the man we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, we're talking about uh, Rick Gates pleading guilty last week to a couple of felony charges in a deal struck with the special counsel's office. This after a banner week of uh, setting out grand jury indictments. <clears throat> I'll go to you also and ask you the question, is this something that should give pause to the White House, or has the have we gone to the highest level and this investigation has run its course? I don't, I don't think uh, we've gone to the highest level. Um, I think the thing, and, and I'm not sure how much of this Alan has already covered, but um, interestingly, you know, while Paul Manafort left the campaign um, relatively early compared to uh, Mr. Gates, um, Gates was there in the uh, in the much discussed uh, tower meeting. Uh, Gates has been there um, for a lot of things that Manafort uh, wasn't around for, and I think if if you know if if if, if there's anything that's going to come to come to fruition out of this is the fact that maybe Mueller is hoping that because Gates is in trouble, uh, he'll be forthcoming about the things that he saw and that he has heard that might allow them to put some meat on the bones of uh, whatever skeletons that uh, uh, Mueller hasn't already uh, uh, fully assembled yet. So, uh, I, you know, if, if the White House was, was nervous before, uh, I think the image of a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs should uh, be a good uh, metaphor for them right now. Sharmila, let's go to the lawyers. Sharmila, you agree with Admiral Ken? Sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't hear. Admiral Ken was kind of coming in and out. Uh, basically, that the, according to Admiral Ken, uh, the uh, long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs is pretty much describing the sentiment over at the White House. Do you agree with that regarding the recent deal with Rick Gates? Well, I don't really understand that metaphor, but I actually tend to, I tend to agree with Alan, which, <laughs> which is that all of, all of the charges against Manafort and Gates thus far relate to their work with Ukraine and any inappropriate financial transactions that happened from there, and not, there's nothing so far, at least in the press or in those indictments, that points to involvement from President Trump or other members of his, his campaign. That being said, it's never good when people who are associated strongly with you are indicted on that many counts. So is this potentially very bad for the White House? It's, it's unclear, but is this bad publicity for the White House? Certainly. And you can see that you can see so, that they feel that way, given pres- the president's consistent tweeting about witch hunts and you know his overblown reactions to anything that Robert Mueller does. So uh, let me go to yeah, go ahead. Ken made the additional point, Sharmila, that that Gates was uh, in the uh, in the campaign to the end and also involved in the transition. He was not a, one of the senior most people, but he was there. He may have seen things after Manafort was gone that were that, that are of interest to Mueller. So we just don't know. There, there's no there's no good reports uh, on that. Um, but uh, he may have seen some stuff. And so whatever he has seen regarding most of all regarding Paul Manafort because they were business partners, 
and our and our name together in all these indictments. But but uh, conceivably, he knows something. We just don't know that um, from the from so, the rest of the campaign and transition. So Dan Lipner, let me go to you because one of the claims that the president's making in all of this, every time there's a new indictment or a new plea deal, uh, the president gets to go up and say, "Up, oh, look, this just proves there's no collusion." Does the president have standing on that statement? No, absolutely not. The idea that there's no collusion, which is what he's been uh, hanging his hat on, uh, there seems to be a fair amount of coordination and a whole lot of interaction between Trump's surrogates and and Russian proxies. So... uh, I don't know what his definition of collusion is. I mean, it, this might be a definition of is is kind of thing, but uh, the, uh, the, the there there seems to be more than something there. But we're still waiting, and each time the president says there's nothing to see here, the thing that we are seeing is he has remarkable poor taste in who he's chosen to trust with anything ever. Um, I'm going to be surprised at who isn't indicted or fired at the end of, at the end of this investigation or serious investigation at the end of this administration. I mean, the head count of people who have already pleaded guilty to things is already surpasses anything in, in the Obama administration or the Bush administration or the Clinton administration. So yeah, good luck with that. So, Alan Moore, with all with this recent move by Rick Gates to cooperate with the government, which appears to be the case through several sources reporting in Washington, uh, as a result of the plea deal, uh, is this is this the camel that is this the straw that breaks the camel's back that says to the president, okay, I am not going to testify before the special counsel's office. I may give you written, but I'm definitely not doing it in person. I I don't think this is, I don't think this is that straw. Um, That straw may may have already been dropped onto the pile. Um, You know, the white house the president himself says, Oh yeah, I'm going to talk to Mueller. Uh, And uh, there's, we, we, we regularly read stories about how, uh, his lawyers are conversing constantly about how they might uh, set up uh, uh, a, a, a Q&A session. Um, n- no surprise that that uh, that their presumed greatest fear is that the president wouldn't prepare, would conclude that he's smart, the smartest person in the room, and would say things that would just de- de- create new problems for himself that that he didn't need and and, and might well have avoided. Um, so those those are the those continue to be the the, the main issues that that uh, uh, the president and uh, and his counsel worry about. Whether they're worried about Gates or not, I don't know. I they they may there may be some people uh, around the president. Unlikely the president himself. Uh, there's no evidence I've seen that he and Gates were particularly uh, close. Uh, but there there could be. Uh, folks uh, uh, in that circle um, who think, oh, wait, Gates was in this conversation or Gates was in that meeting. Um, I don't know that that's true, but I, I don't see Gates as, it, it, from 
from where we stand today, I don't see Gates as that linchpin draw in 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 your question. Um, uh, it's just part of the piece, you know. We right. We I, I still think he's the biggest threat to Manafort, but we've got Manafort, we've got Gates, we've got Flynn, we've got Papadopoulos. You know, there's there's sort of and we've got the thirteen Russians. Um, now we've got the charge that came out on Friday just involving Manafort that he had put together a group of five, four or five European leaders who he was paying um, uh, surreptitiously and illegally, but without any reporting anyhow, to lobby in America on behalf of uh, the corrupt Ukrainian government. Um, So, you know, there's stuff that's continuing to roll out what we don't know is what else Mueller uh, may have. Um, Dan likes to think that any meeting that anybody, a phone call that somebody had with a Russian um, is powerful evidence of, of, of possible collusion. I think if, if we had a slam dunk uh, collusion uh, charge, we would know a lot more about it now. Um, but you don't need to demonstrate collusion to create massive problems, as we already have seen, for uh, this right. administration, for its credibility, right. for the American electoral system, for the president's relationship um, with the Congress, because significant damage uh, has has been done there. And then there's the obstruction question, and uh, well, and, and one interesting well, one interesting question. Whatever the I'll just finish and. Uh, Whenever the president attacks um, Mueller or goes out there and says, see, no collusion, no collusion, no collusion, arguably part of his audience is the grand jury who's hearing all of this stuff. Arguably, that gets up close to the notion of obstruction of justice. If you are purposefully trying to poison the thinking of grand jurors, that can be (laughs) a sort of grounds for exploring um, obstruction of justice. So the the president's lack of discipline, um, whether he's trying to obstruct or not, um, uh, is a reminder of how he steps into stuff um, that he's careless about and doesn't want to pay any attention to because in his mind, he is and always has been and always will be the smartest person in the room. And he listens to himself for to get his best advice. Right. And well, here's the other question I have: Is uh, Admiral Ken? You know, we we've heard the we've heard the statements and the tweets from the president uh, regarding um, you know how tough Trump has been on Russia. Uh, he's been tougher than Obama was ever on Russia. Yet at the same time, we heard today that uh, Admiral Mike Rogers, the head of the National Security Agency and former uh, flag officer mate of yours, testified in front of a congressional committee today when asked in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee, has he been instructed by the administration to thwart off any meddling in the 2018 election by Russia – Mike Rogers said no. He's been given no direction to take any sort of 
maneuvers to thwart off uh, Russian meddling in our election system. Is that a bigger problem? And does Mike Rogers saying that in front of a congressional committee, should that scare the living hell out of us? Well, a couple of things. To answer your last question directly, yeah, it should, because what it does is it places into some concern the uh, the security and the sanctity of the next set of elections um, that are coming up for the midterms. Uh, a more um, um, a darker side of my nature would say maybe that's what the president wants because if there's a wholesale uh, switch of the uh, of the power uh, of the of the House and Senate, he can step back and say, well, you know, the Russians did it, or this is not a, a valid election. Backing away from that, whether he's been tougher on the Russians or not uh, than 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 his predecessor, uh, I'll submit this question to to Dan and the Sharmila because they're lawyers, and I'm I'm and I, I haven't even played one on TV lately. So Congress Congress passed the uh, a set of sanctions to be levied against um, against Russia. The president, as the chief uh, executor of laws in this country, has yet to to uh, to do anything about those. Uh, one is, is has he been tougher? No, I would say, in my opinion, no. But the real question I have for Charmaine and for Dan is: so isn't he in violation of the law by not enacting laws legally passed by our Congress? And in in, in doing so, is, hasn't he set himself up? Um, for uh, charges of dereliction of duty and impossible impeachment along those lines, I, I don't know, but I, I think I think if nothing else, Dan, in, in my mind, he's already broken the law. Dan, let's so pose that the, question to you as the, a political attorney. Yeah, the, the, so the short answer is no. Um, well, dereliction of duty is something different as opposed to violating the law. So dereliction of duty, I, I would argue the answer is yes. But as far as violation of the law, this is the it has to do with the interplay between the executive branch and the legislative branch. So the legislative branch enacting or passing the sanctions is one step of the process, but because the power of the executive is most powerful when dealing with uh, international relations and foreign policy, the president does have the authority in, in the context of, say, negotiations, to say, listen, I now have the authority to impose all of these sanctions upon you, uh, Mr. Putin. Now, what can you do to come to the table to uh, to encourage me not to impose these sanctions that my Congress has has allowed me to put upon you? Uh, this president, being the shrewd negotiator he is, ha- has promptly said the, uh, well, you know, we're working on that, and thus the absolutely none of the sanctions have been, been imposed as Congress has, has, has granted the authority to the president, and absolutely nothing has happened from the Russians. So, yeah, that's some crack negotiating from, from this White House, I think. Uh, truly impressive. Charmelin, you agree with Dan on his opinion? Yeah, I agree with Dan's assessment, right? The Congress's job is to create the laws, and the president's job, the executive branch's job, is to enforce them. And so the president is acting within the scope of his executive authority and exercising his discretion as the president about whether or not to proceed with um, pursuing some of the cyber countermeasures that 
any his intelligence services is recommending to him and to pursue these sanctions. So as much as I would love to agree with Admiral Ken that he is, you know, engaging in dereliction of duty, which I think this is not the first instance of that, but that he is breaking the law, that's not the case. And then uh, at the same time that this testimony is going on in the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, there's another issue for the White House possibly developing, although judging from reports coming out of the Hill, it's not much of a problem because she's not answering. Deputy White House Communications Director Hope Hicks is not deputy, been called the White House test- Communications Director. Oh, no, I'm sorry, the White House Communications Director. Very good. The White House Communications Director, Hope Hicks, is testifying in front of the House Intelligence Committee and apparently not answering questions. Uh, word coming out of the Hill is that uh, it is frustrating to both sides of the aisle uh, that she's not answering these questions and that uh, there's even talks of the S-word, that S-word being subpoena. Uh, Alan Moore, I mean, obviously Hope is not going to uh, throw her boss, who she is extremely loyal and extremely devoted to. She's not going to throw her boss, or she's not going to throw her boss under a House Intelligence Committee bus. Uh, but is she putting herself in? Is she painting a bigger target on herself by avoiding answering some of these questions, even in a closed session? You know. We we <laughs> she may be. Um, uh, there was supposedly back and forth uh, discussion ahead of time about what what kinds of questions might be permitted and what could tie, what what wouldn't be. You may remember Steve Bannon when he was going up there, he was negotiating and then he declined to appear and then he said he wanted to talk to Mueller first and and uh, it was very unsatisfying uh, to the committee. Um, the, the 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 Hicks approach was 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 kind of a mini uh, a variation on that um, that that initially didn't have any ground rules, but then when she went in, she apparently refused uh, to talk uh, about the the her time on on uh, on the post election transition and in the West Wing. So. Um, apparently all she would talk about, and I think it's important to understand she would, at least it's my understanding, she did talk about stuff. She just wouldn't talk about anything that occurred after the election, either on the transition or in the White House. This transition piece is interesting for for weirdos who, who pay attention to government. It's not too hard to exert executive privilege for the work you do for a president in a, in, in, in a White House. Um, it's harder to exert executive privilege for somebody who's not president, although he's elected to be president. He's just not president yet. It's kind of this funny gray area. So as I understand it, she asked, answered questions about activities during the campaign and prior to the election. And then, and then after that, she would just say, I'm sorry, I can't. And the, and I don't know how it'll play out. And that's, it's, it's all sort of preliminary. Um, we haven't heard from Adam Schiff yet, who will before long, I'm sure, be out uh, uh, sharing uh, uh, his always uh, 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 useful uh, uh, opinions as he tries to garner the, uh, the spotlight. Right. 
Wait, let me ask. Let me ask Dan Lipner real quick before I, I, we go any further, because you bring up a good point. Is and I want some clarification from a political attorney, which Dan Lipner arguably is. Um, Hope Hicks claiming uh, executive privilege in House testimony today. Uh, Alan brings up the point that there's this gray area in the transition. If there is interaction between Russia and the administration in the transition, does executive privilege in fact cover the president-elect or just after he's inaugurated as the president? As the law currently is interpreted, uh, you only get executive privilege once you're actually the executive. And Alan is right. It is, it is a kind of weird kind of quasi little state because you are elected to be the president, but the premise, and I believe it actually comes from a Supreme Court decision that there's only one president at a time. And so the idea of asserting executive privilege when you're not president uh, is, is a challenging argument to say the least. Uh, but we'll see. If it gets tested, uh, this court could end up doing something different than what we expect. Uh, that said, I would find it more than a little bit challenging uh, for the two-month period of when you have these, or I guess two and a half months, of when you have a president and a president-elect, both of which in theory under uh, the executive privilege argument uh, are – and that in this case, where they are both conducting foreign policy, uh, which then creates the issues with the Logan Act violation and all that kind of stuff that we're floating around, uh, that we know is floating around uh, Mike Flynn. Uh, but it, whether or not it's floating around others as well, uh, it, it, it seems like a ridiculous argument to me, but I don't think it's truly been tested uh, like this White House is suggesting it could be. So we'll see. I mean, I'm kind of rooting for them to go to the Supreme Court because I have a strong suspicion that they will get smacked down pretty hard, even by uh, this conservative court. But we'll see what happens. Wow. Okay. Uh, last thing, because it's all Russia all hour, uh, we, do, we would be remiss if we did not point out the fact that uh, as many of you all who listen to the show know, that there was a memo that was talking about, that was released by the GOP leadership in the House Intelligence Committee, a memo issued by Chairman Devin Nunez, Republican of California, uh, which caused a lot of controversy when it was released. But the Democrats, in order to rebut the what many are calling on the Democratic side shameless or shameful even memo released by the GOP on the House Intelligence Committee, have their day in public uh, perception court when last week the president did and the Department of Justice conceded to allow the Democratic response to the Devin Nunez memo from the House Intelligence Committee to be released to rebut the accusations of the GOP memo. Uh, the question I have, Admiral Ken, Number one, did we really learn anything new from the Democratic uh, memo that we kind of didn't already know through media reporting or the release of the Devin Nunez memo? Well, the one thing, and I, and I, I may be putting myself on report by saying this, but the, the thing that I did not know 
is that all five of the FISA judges that reviewed um, the um, uh, the warrant request were all Republicans. I didn't know that, and I think oh. that that fact alone um, flies in the fact in the face of this um, conspiracy theory that Devin Nunes put in place that this was the a, a big cabal um, uh, aimed towards the Trump administration. So. Let's let's do a re, let's do a recap here. Director of the FBI, Republican. Five thousand FISA judges reviewing the warrants, Republican. Um, person running the special counsel office, Republican. So, you know, noticeably absent in this deep government conspiracy against President Donald Trump is are any Democrats? None. So that for me was was the big the big takeaway. Uh, Alan Ward, did did we really need to have the Democratic's memo released to, or I mean, did it paint something different that we need to know in this? Well, so so I think just in order to add balance, and because they from the beginning said, you know, we don't agree and we're going to respond, they needed to. The the, the thing is. When that memo first came out and we looked at it and looked at it pretty closely and talked about it, we said on this show, and and we weren't the only ones to say it, there's not much there. Wow. We were were expecting some fireworks, and they all just sort of fizzled. and we even even the memo itself acknowledged uh, uh, that, <laughs> that there was a footnote that made reference to what the the, the whole narrative uh, said did not exist, which was acknowledgement of some the political origins of uh, of the so-called Steele dossier. And then there was a timeline that was there, which also tended to undercut the argument. What we got from the from the the Democrat response was. A little more detail, also undercutting a very weak first effort. So we come out of there with a kind of a yawn and a ho hum and a wondering, what was all of all the yelling and screaming about? And what and and, and as I said then, and I'll say it again, Nunes has no business chairing that committee. Paul Ryan has no business allowing. Nunes to chair that committee and I feel almost as strongly about Adam Schiff being the ranking minority member of that committee and (laughs) Mrs. Pelosi's role in keeping him there. That committee historically (laughs) has operated on a bipartisan basis and these guys have so completely screwed it up as to, to demolish uh, or do serious damage, hopefully not permanent, to a great tradition and an important tradition when it comes to foreign intelligence issues that we all have to care about. I would, I would get rid of both of those guys um, and possibly, I don't know about the members underneath them, I, I can't speak to it, but they have really poisoned a well that used to be, have drinkable water in it and you don't want to get within 50 yards of that water. <laughs> I, I do have so, I, I would agree with Alan. I would agree with. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sharmla first, then Dan Lipner. 
No, I was going to say, I would agree with Alan, but for the fact that Devin Nunez created his own conflict of interest that forced his recusal. So he truly has no business being on being the chair of the committee. Um, whereas Adam, Adam Schiff, I, I can see Alan's point that he has injected a level of partisanship into this that is probably not necessary, but at least he is not ethically foreclosed, you know, truly ethically foreclosed ethically, from being the chairman. Ethically foreclosed. I love that. I'm going to use that one, Sharmila. Dan Lipner, your turn. No, I, and, and to that same end, so this is, so uh, the milkman, a.k.a. Uh, Congressman Nunes, um, question is, w- with his actions that he's taken uh, with the White House and how he's handled the investigation as a whole, so the question is, how could Congressman shift have responded appropriately in response to Congressman Nunez's wildly inappropriate action consistently in regards to the investigation. So I, I, I definitely hear Alan's point, and it's possible that, you know, Schiff's actions in response to Nunez kind of would force the, oh, right, fine, a pox on both your houses, houses, remove them both. But the question is, fine, if the next man up who's chairman of the committee, and presumably it's the man who's going to be uh, the chairman of the committee, um, or next woman, for the sake of argument, if they behave as Nunez has Freudian slip. what is the appropriate response <laughs> to that level of inappropriate action by the chairperson? What do you do? And I'll pose this to Alan. So if Alan said, you know, remove them both, what do you do in response to a chairperson who acts so wildly inappropriately uh, in the intelligence committee? How do you, what do you do if you're the minority member or the ranking member? What do you do? You try you try to follow um, you, you try to follow Michelle's M- Michelle Obama's uh, guidance when if they go low we go high. So what shift did and I I was not equating their sins. Okay, let me make that clear because Nunes are the greater sins. No question about that. It's just that 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 shift in my humble opinion was the, was was the wrong person and wrong personality, wrong motives wrong ambitions person to to be the counter because it would have been a time a great opportunity for somebody with a little stature and a little class and reasonableness and some restraint and not wanting to be on television five times every single day for months um uh would have it would have been a great contrast and 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 allowed somebody to to, to take somewhat higher ground so that that that's my only point. I I yeah, have nothing Alan, good to say. Ab- I, I got nothing Alan, to say Alan, about Nunes that's positive at all. Yeah. All right, but Alan, let me ask you this question. As somebody who's been a longtime Senate staffer, the, the question I have is, you know, Nunes had to recuse himself as chairman for a period of time. Uh, yeah. If you are if you are the legal counsel and you've already been removed although temporarily as the chairman of said Intel committee, does it not make sense that as legal counsel to the majority on the house intelligence committee, you would advise a chairman who has already had a couple of issues to just stand down and not draw attention to yourself or the dysfunction of the committee. Where was staff on this and why were they not able to get into Nunez's head to fix this? No, you're, I think I think I think it, it, we we make this mistake. 
we do it all the time. All, many of us do this with, with regard to the White House, the Hill, and so on. We say, where the hell is staff? Why aren't they telling the principal, you can't do this and you can't do that? Um, um, it, it, it's, it's not really the role of staff. They force ideas. They make suggestions. They, they respond when spoken to. They shut up when told to shut up. I'm not, I don't know who, who these staff are. I don't know what they were asked. I don't know what they were told. I lay that responsibility at the feet of House leadership, starting with Paul Ryan. He's the one. His people need to go to Ryan, and, and, his colleague, and, and their colleagues need to say, Paul, Nunes is killing us. I don't want to defend that stuff. Get him the hell out of there. And I'm not saying easy things. There's, it's every time a, a, a speaker or, or, or a, uh, a ranking minority member of the House tries to demote somebody, all hell breaks loose because everybody's got some number of fans or they wouldn't have got to the chairmanship in the first place. But sometimes – you got to step up and say, this is hurting the party. It's hurting uh, uh, the, the House of Representatives. I think it's also been harmful to the president, although the president uh, seems, to, uh, seems, to, seems to enjoy this stuff simply because without having to bother to read the document, he says, see, I told you. It's like... Yeah, but that document doesn't say that. Anyway, um, yeah, this is this is a it was an avoidable um, uh, problem, and it's really sad. It's 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 sad for the House. It's particularly sad for the for the Intelligence Committee because this is national security stuff, and it's transparent. I mean, it is it is just absolutely clear that. Devin Nunes' primary goal is to curry favor with President Trump, and he, he is he's making he, he's he's making a mockery of all of those institutions that Alan just pointed out in the process of doing it. And on top of that, he looks like a fool. He looks absolutely foolish in in in, in all of these activities. Okay, I've had enough of Russia for this week. We'll talk about this, I'm sure, next week. Let's. We're going to move on. We're going to take a quick break. So, can I one one last thought? Because of course, I'll never let everything go. But but with regard to Nunez and what he said, one other little thing to keep in the back of your mind is that Robert Mueller is presumably keeping close tabs on everything that Nunez does because there have been rumors for a long time that Nunes doesn't move without working with the White House. So is, Nune, is there any possibility, and I'm not saying there is, but I'm sure that it's being looked at, any possibility that Nunes and this bogus memo was possibly the byproduct of, pardon the, express, pardon the word, collusion between Nunes and his staff in the White House. If there was such collusion, that gives rise to other potential obstruction of justice charges. So 
I'll just throw that out there <laughs> for the group to reflect upon. But uh, that's my final thought on the uh, for the for the the show. Actually, now, can, now can I, I throw one other item out of the tail end of that? Since since we keep playing around ah. with the word uh, collusion, the, the other another yes. word for collusion could very well be synonymous with conspiracy, and that actually is a crime. But just to, so oh. so, I know the president is hung up on collusion. So what are you, but what are you saying? So what are you, what are you saying? What, what are you saying, Dan? Dan, what are you saying? Is that this has gotten so convoluted and so intertwined that we could actually bring RICO charges against the president? Well, I mean, RICO is a different creature entirely. But, I mean, a, a conspiracy, you don't necessarily need RICO. You can have conspiracy for anything. Um, hey, Justin. And it actually is It is actually a crime. Hey, Justin. Yes, yes, Admiral Ken. Dan is 100% right. Don't, 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 don't tease me, man. Don't tease me. <laughs> All right. Enough Russia. We got other screw ups that we have to deal with. Meaning we gotta talk about the follow the uh follow on discussions and debates that have happened after the tragic shootings in Park Parkland, Florida. Uh amazing events have happened. The strangest things have happened. It has been a bizarre week regarding the gun debate. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about that, which means yes. Marie, I'm going to be talking about your subject. Stand by. This is Backroom Politics Live from, well, at least I'm in Vegas. Everybody else is up in New York City and Washington, D.C. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us.
Backroom Politics. And we're back. I'm your moderator, Justin Russell, for the best political talk show you never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live from, in this case, Las Vegas, Nevada, New York City, and Washington, D.C.'s national capital region. Uh, I'm done with Russia, so that means we're now talking about the gun discussion that's been happening since the tragic events in Parkland, Florida, almost two weeks ago. Uh, It has been a bizarre week of bizarre discussions, bizarre comments made by the president, bizarre interactions. Let's start first with the listening session that was uh, held by the president where the president, in fact, brought up this issue of new, gun, uh, new guns introduced into schools. Let's arm the teachers. Uh, I know for a fact, I, I texted my sister-in-law, who is a public school teacher up in New York City. And as much as we go back and forth, I just want to say publicly, I have a lot of respect for her. She has a very tough job. And when I texted her about this, she basically came back and said, don't even get me started. Uh, It is a subject that has been brought up. It is a subject that some school districts have embraced, but a vast majority of teachers uh, that I've talked to and a vast majority of teachers that have been polled say that they do not, in fact, want to have the responsibility of packing heat in a classroom and many are uncomfortable in packing heat, which I can understand. You know, bringing a pistol into a first grader's class has got to be kind of awkward. So the question is, is the president really that tone deaf on this? Or is this something that we may just have to adjust to a new reality? Let me start with you, Admiral Ken. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's as tone deaf as they come. A um, couple of things wrong with this with this idea. Um, first and foremost, um, whenever I hear, whenever I heard him talk about uh, arming teachers, um, the image, and I may be dating myself here, of uh, uh, Barney Fife from the old uh, Andy Griffin show holding a, a gun in a, a pressure situation comes to mind. Um, this is not what teachers are trained to do. Uh, I am from. I am the only member of my family who did not go into education. I, I foolishly chose the military, and uh, like you, did the informal poll of, of those people who are currently teaching as well as those retired. And they all unanimously say the same thing: this is an outrageously stupid, stupid, stupid idea. Um, second thing, and we talked about this a little bit last week. None of us, absolutely none of us have any idea of how we will react in a, in a, in a life-threatening situation, especially uh, one in which firearms are, um, are a part. You just don't know. And um, to assume that people who nine days out of ten have the job of standing in front of students and sharing the knowledge and teaching them are going to be able to flip a switch and behave in a manner that's going to be consistent with them uh, saving lives is just a, it's a specious argument from the very beginning. Two or three, operation. Let's say there is a shooting uh, or an active shooter situation and SWAT team comes in, the SWAT team comes in and they see an adult with a gun. Guess what's going to happen? 
they're going to basically take that person out, and then you're going to have the tragedy that's already taken place magnified by some level. Worse yet, number four, being able to shoot or not shoot is a is a is a is a skill that law enforcement professionals are trained in uh, routinely. The shoot not shoot drill is possibly one of the most um, intense uh, training exercises that law enforcement people will go through. And the idea that you're going to basically depend on the teacher to figure out whether there's background safe enough uh, to fire off their gun or not, uh, again, will magnify the tragedy. And I guess finally, the thing about the president's uh, presentation, this was to the governors yesterday, where he talked about the fact that, you know, if he were there, he would have behaved differently than that, than that deputy or those, those, those four deputies, that he would even run in um, possibly without a gun. Is, is just it's laughable because here's a guy who had an opportunity to put on a uniform and join the armed forces, and yet he chickened out and he did something else. It's, it's, it's disgusting. Absolutely the, a bad idea all the way around. Yeah, and, and by the way, what uh, Admiral Ken is talking about is the response by the president yesterday in the listening sessions with governors uh, where it was disclosed late last week that according to reports, the school resource officer, who was a 30-year veteran of the uh, Broward County Sheriff's Office, uh, did not go into the building at uh, Douglas High School there in Parkland to confront the uh, to confront the uh, the shooter in that incident. Uh, since then. It has come out that there are conflicting reports as far as why he did not enter the building, uh, including uh, communications transmission that ordered all people on site to go to the football field where there was the shooting was first reported. Possibly, uh, there's I think there's still a lot of answers, but I agree with you, Ken. The fact that this that this president said. Uh, I would go in there without a weapon, and I think most of us would. I think it's not only reckless and irresponsible, I think it's just absolutely just shameless self-promotion in, in, a, in a tragic event like that. Um, let me go Can to I throw Sherman, another variable Sherman, into, Sherman, uh, we'll in on this? Go ahead. Sorry, I heard Florida, also has, Florida also has a stand your, the stand your ground law, so – Imagine exactly what more armament or more weaponry in a school would mean with a, the stand-your-ground law in Florida. Just add that into the mix as well. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's another factor. We'll talk about that here shortly. Um, let me ask you, you know, when we see the president uh, trying to do stuff, he, he, he did say after the shooting he would be interested in uh, – Raising the age limit of uh, of adults able to buy the gun from 18 to 21, making that a federal requirement. He did say he did want to uh, make bump stocks illegal. Uh, he put out a couple of good ideas, and then what we're now referring to inside Washington as the Trump two-step managed to go the weekend, get on Fox and Friends, and and start tweeting about completely different ideas that have no bearing and is not 
and it is not doing anything moving forward but kowtowing to the NRA. Is, is this a time that we, there needs to be a real adult in the room to deal with these types of issues, particularly after the tragedy in Parkland? Well, and don't forget that before he, you know, made the effort, before he got his support behind, you know, banning bump stocks or raising the age, he said that this wasn't a gun issue at all. It's a mental health issue. Or he said it's a mental health issue and didn't mention guns, right? So it's not even Trump two-step. It's the Trump five-step or the ten-step or kind of whatever the most recent Fox News segment he's seen that prompts his tweet bonnets. But I think the, I mean, the Fox you're... Trump, you would? Yeah, really. The um, <laughs> and obviously the answer to your question is yes. We've needed an adult in the room since January twentieth, two thousand seventeen. It's not this scenario that prompts needing an adult in a room. We've always needed one, and we've not had one. And you know, the people who are supposed to be the adults have fall have failed us multiple times. And so we, as a people, and I think that's why you see these students you know, having this reaction that they're having now and why you see such a groundswell of popular support for it because we see not just the president, not just the people he's appointed to be his functionaries, Congress, state governors, state legislatures, all of these people who are supposed to be adults in the room have been falling down on the job. And now the students, the ones who had guns put in their faces are the ones who have to finally say, we are children and we're going to be the adults in the room. We are going to say, this is not acceptable. So we should never as a country have gotten to the point where we as children, and you know, as an ironic aside, this is something that children in the developing world, you know, in places such as Nigeria or Afghanistan or Pakistan have dealt with for many years, but we as children should not have to be afraid to go to school. We should not be in danger when we're doing the exact thing that kids are supposed to do. And it's the failing by every single adult, starting from President Trump. But, I mean, right, this isn't his fault. I, as much as I – that's such a strange thing to, to come out of my mouth. This didn't start with President Trump. This started far prior to a Congress and to state legislatures who have never passed the measures, the gun control measures and the sort of access to gun measures that, that are required in our modern society. And, you know, this can anger the Second Amendment crowd, but it, you know, I don't care at this point, right? Like, we do not live in the same society as when the Second Amendment was created and passed. We live in a very, very different world. And the fact that people are still clinging to this sort of outdated individual right, someone has to call it out and say, this is unacceptable. And Alan Moore, you know, on top of my sidebar about how incredibly bizarre it is that Republican leadership in both Capitol Hill and state legislate and the Florida state legislature are now trying to throw law enforcement under the bus. I cannot think yeah. of anything well, that is more of a dereliction of duty and a shirking of responsibility than that. And I have a lot more to say about it. Alan Moore, you know, it does strike me as odd that, you know, the president you know, not just a week and a half ago, was willing to take on and stand up to the NRA, was saying that the NRA would listen and was in favor of stuff like strengthening the background checks, raising the age to uh, 21. Um, but, you know, we were starting to see where, okay, maybe this is 
this is the event that finally brings some sensibility to this. And at the same time we see that, we hear Wayne LaPierre, the president of the NRA, at the uh, uh, Conservative Political Action Committee gatherings, or CPAC, last week up in uh, the National Capital Region. This is a quote from Wayne LaPierre, the president of the NRA. Quote, we share a goal of safe schools, safe neighborhoods, and a safe country. The opportunists never waste a moment to capitalize. The national media is eager to smear the NRA. The elites don't care not one whit about the American school system and school children. For them, it's not a safety issue. It's a political issue. Their goal is to eliminate the Second Amendment and our firearms freedoms so that they can eradicate all other individual freedoms. They want more restrictions on the law-abiding citizen. Alan Moore, how does Wayne LaPierre maintain credibility in saying that he believes uh, we should protect our kids when he makes statements like that? Please don't ask me to be the one to explain Wayne LaPierre. Um, There are so many... There's so many interesting elements to a that speech and that guy, starting with you in your quote when you talked about the the elites. Wayne Lapierre's salary is about one point two million dollars a year. He lives in yeah. Northern Virginia, and three uh, two years two or three years ago he received an advanced uh, uh, part of his uh, retirement pay. Uh, pay in excess of $3 million. So when he's talking, when he, when he uses the word elite and he, he has that kind of background, there's just this delicious hypocrisy that can't go without at least being mentioned. Um, he, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to please the masses. He has to please a, his, his believing members and the NRA gains members and loses them when people are, are, are ticked off. I don't know what the numbers are now. They do raise a lot of money that they can spend on political campaigns. That's, they, 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 don't spend, they don't spend lots of money on lots of campaigns. They spend selectively. But if they pick you, if they pick your primary opponent or if they pick your uh, – your opponent in an, ele- uh, an election, or if they choose to just come after you, you can be screwed. It's massive money. It affects votes. It's ultimately um, uh, about the votes. But he, he, let me say, though, that in addition to needing to appeal to his members and the true believers, he's got, he's got another audience. And that audience is named Donald Trump. And apparently the president dined on Saturday or Sunday with LaPierre and two of his senior guys and, and said, what great guys, what great Americans. Um, they I think we share the same patriot. objective. That is the word he used. But, but, that is the yeah, word he no, used. He used patriot. But, and then he said, but he also said yesterday, in addition to earlier, he said yesterday, look, I think, you know, we can come to one mind with him. And if we have to disagree with him and go a different way, we can do that. We can do that. But I don't think it will be necessary. So 
the president's constantly kind of sliding and slipping back and forth. If I'm the NRA, I'm thinking, well, we liked what he said at lunch, but then the next day he went out again. You know, we got to be careful. We got to watch. This is a great opportunity for this president. He has, he, he's pretty good at taking advantage of openings that present themselves. I don't know what he'll do, but I don't assume that he will end up doing nothing. I think that he'll see that it's in his benefit to piss off the NRA a little bit, but not so much that they'll come after him in a big way or create huge problems for, for, for those who follow him. Uh, or for, for, for members up on the Hill who would be willing to support the president. It, it's all, you know, different issues have different importance to them. Bump stocks, they're gone. They're going to go. I think there's no question about that. That used to be what, that used to be what the NRA publicly said, and I don't think they've come out and said, no, 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 we need bump stocks. They just kind of let it, they let it drift. The age issue they apparently care about, but I'm guessing they're they're prepared to lose that one. Um, the uh, anyway, it, it, he's. But I, but I guess this goes to a, Alan. This goes to Alan. This goes to a larger question, though. And and Adam, let me go to you. Is this a situation where the time that we need the president to be the great negotiator, the great deal maker? and have a lot of credibility with all sides, is that even still possible right now? Not, not with the NRA, because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, and, and Sharmila hit on this quite eloquently, at the end of the day, Donald Trump will always act in the best interest of Donald Trump. If he senses that his core is going to turn against him, he will back away from any idea that he might put forward that indicates that he's going to get resistance from them. Um, with regard to the NRA, um, I, I think they, they are really, really missing a huge opportunity here. Um, and, they, and, and, and this is not, this is, this is not unlike what happened with um, uh, Sandy Hook or the shooting in Vegas. They really – Instead of focusing on the fact that they've got, you know, what, uh, um, 100,000, 200,000 members, whatever the number is, and instead of focusing on that, they could triple their size overnight. Think about it. If they basically decided to step out in front of this and say, look, you're, we've had enough of this too. This is making us look bad. We are, we are not only saying that – not only should the bump stocks um, be outlawed, we're basically going to start putting pressure on the members of Congress that, that we're giving money to to act like that, uh, to, 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 uh, to act along with those, those requirements. They are really missing an opportunity here to triple the size of their membership if they did it the right way. But you, instead, you've got guys like Wayne LaPierre calling out names of congressmen and organizations like Black Lives Matter and and, and just going down this, this, this laundry list of everybody that he thinks is un-American and socialist, and instead of looking at the fact that, you know, you could be doing something on a national level to better the country and also take, take whatever salary you're making now and double it. But, you know, I, I just 
that's not going to happen. It's just it's sad, but it's not going to happen. You know, arms manufacturers. Go. I'm sorry. What was that term? Yeah, Carmel is right. I, I said. I mean, to Ken's point. Wayne LaPierre is not doing that because the NRA is not truly an association of concerned gun owners. It is a lobbying front for the weapons and the ammunition industry. That is, and so any any laws that restrict access to, yeah, any any laws that restrict access to guns for as many people as possible, or um, you know that limit sort of the magazine capacities or any of you know anything that reduces sales of guns and gun accoutrement is going to be anathema to them. So, Dan, let me, let me ask you this question. You know, down in Florida, uh, we saw uh, just an outstanding demonstration of high school students, not only from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas there in Broward County, but from all over the state, show up in mass to uh, lobby uh, to lobby the state legislature to crack down on this and make this a situation where we never have to go through this situation again. Um, the legislature, not only several members of the legislature did not meet with certain students, but even as late as yesterday evening, they had a committee hearing room full of students and the state legislature refused to even debate a uh, piece of legislation that would have banned or severely restricted the sale of of assault rifles, should that have been the telltale sign or the wake-up call to the state legislature that you don't want to miss this opportunity or this is really going to get ugly for you? Florida, uh, which in a 50-50 state, the Democrats have run, let me count it, that's right, we have one statewide seat, and that's uh, Senator Bill Nelson's seat. Uh, we have neither chamber of the legislature. We haven't had the governor's seat in quite a while. Um, so, yeah, there's no reason for it to be a wake-up call if there's no reason that opposition can, can rally their forces to defeat you. Uh, now, arguably, it's, it's part of the, the gerrymandering at, at the, state legislature, the state legislative level, which has been occurring for quite some time, but that said, unless there's an opposition to actually hold people's feet to the fire, or, or unless the Republican Party in, its, in itself decides that there is some substance uh, that requires you know, the party to change positions, uh, the answer is no. Uh, I mean, these kids were exactly right. right. And by the way, these kids deserve a, a tremendous shout-out for exactly how well organized, but more importantly, how articulate they have been in confronting all of these issues. I'm hard-pressed to think of any tragedy ever where the response has been this well organized and not had the stink of, of obvious political hacks involved at, at the early stages. Um, so these kids really deserve some, some serious credit. And to that same end, they deserve some credit for calling BS on the fact that this stuff has been happening for how long now? I mean, the, the, the first major shooting that I remember, is, uh, and I'm sure there's, there are ones that predate it, but the Columbine shooting 
uh, all the things that were suggested were going to happen after that, not much has happened. Uh, so the and even with the Republican proposals of talking about you know the mental illness, okay, great, I, I agree. Mental illness is one of one of the causes of of this. Where's the money and where's the legislation to actually make sure we can we can combat mental illness and make sure there are counselors and therapists for those in need, and also making sure those people who are in need don't find their their need in a gun because they, they have been deemed a, a threat to society and maybe arming them would be a bad idea. Okay, I'll agree with them there. Or how about the NRA's proposal of the, uh, the, the school resource officers in every school in America? Okay, great. I, I don't necessarily see that as a bad idea either. Where's the money for that? Where's the legislation? Haven't seen much of that at either the state or national level. Okay, now, so the, now I will, I will, I will say this. It, Hold on. They're right. Dan, I will say this. Uh, I have not been a very vocal supporter of Governor Rick Scott in Florida. I have been supportive of some of the things he's done in the past, i.e. his response to hurricanes, national disasters, uh, his response to the Pulse nightclub shooting, and now his response to this. I will give Rick Scott credit that he did come back with a proposal and, and urged the state legislature, which pretty much says he'll get it, to fund a school safety program, which includes school resource officers in every school in the state of Florida, which I think is admirable. That takes the pressure of having to arm teachers, which is a stupid idea. Uh, but it, it, it also shows that Rick Scott may not be as tone deaf as his national counterpart up in the White House, Donald Trump. Uh, but that being said... Sharma, I want to ask you, and then I want to ask the same of Ken Carradine. Uh, Sharma, if, is there a possibility that we could see the student activists have such a major impact on America's way of thinking that they could at least give the NRA a run for their money as far as driving the issue in 2018 midterms? I think certainly. I think that their narrative is far more sympathetic, and their their passion is so real. You know, they're not asking, and especially, and their demands are so reasonable. They're not asking for guns to be taken away. They're not asking for the repeal of the Second Amendment. They're asking for our legislatures to consider and to pass laws that will make everyone safe, especially them, right? The idea that the Republican Party talks so much about the sanctity of life and the value of families and the value of children and then does nothing to actually protect children is so galling that this is why these students have had such an impact so far and why they will continue to do so. They are standing there saying, we are fighting for our lives. This is not an optional issue. This is not something that you can think about and maybe pass legislation in two years. And it's it's appalling that this conversation didn't happen after Sandy Hook, and, it's, and I think the reason it happened now is because the victims are old enough to be able to speak for themselves. It's doubly galling that Republicans, you know, some in the conservative and Republican leadership, dismiss them as children when some of them can, are going to be able to vote in November. Right? In this case, the victims can actually speak for themselves, and they have spoken in mass. In Sandy Hook, the children were too small to be able to. And so, yes, and I by think the way, you're going to see a really over. Sorry. 
And I was going to say, and, and just following up on that. And by the way, if if you are if you are an American, and you are accusing these students of being operatives of the liberal left and crisis actors, okay. Not only does that make you heartless, that actually makes you an imbecile. That actually makes you irresponsible. That actually makes you, if we, you know, it's amazing. Along with not having to have a license to buy a gun, you don't need a license to vote. Because if they did, those people should have their licenses to vote taken away. It's just absolutely crazy. Uh, um, well, I'm going to on that last point, but I agree with your first point. Yeah, okay. There we go. So, Admiral Ken, let me go with you on this. Does, in fact, or could we see, you know, I mean, because I will tell you right now, when I saw the testimony of uh, of one of the students, Sam Zeef, in, uh, in Washington during that listening session, uh, I, I couldn't keep it together. I broke down crying uh, seeing that. Are, are, I, are these students and this new wave enough to give, at least in your Republican sense, a run for their money to the NRA? I, I, I like, like, like everybody on this call, um, I was moved by both the town hall in Florida as well as the, uh, the listening session uh, at the White House um, and and, and, and countless interviews that I've seen in the days uh, in the days since the tragedy. Um, so what I'm about to say, I don't want to be cast as someone who is uh, not that has not been emotionally moved by what what I've seen or what I've heard. Okay, so I, I am by nature a tactician. Okay, this is how I was how I was brought up for 30 years. You're, type, you're talking about taking on arguably the most powerful lobby in this country. Um, yeah, the emotions there. Um, I think there's probably enough, uh, based on the polling that I've seen from all three of the major news outlets, including uh, the people that that that, uh, that give Donald Trump his, his dancing lessons over Fox News. Um, but I think the one thing. That these that these young people will need that they don't have, and I don't know if they've got the wherewithal to get in order to win this is organization. It, it takes it takes organization. It takes strategy. It takes um, the 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 not not just a good message, but uh, delivering that message uh, at the right time and the right place uh, to garner the support that they need, and it, and it can't be done on a regional basis. This has got to be a national movement. And while the, the, the young people in Florida um, are the ones that have been most affected by this, what I haven't seen, what I haven't seen yet um, to make me think otherwise is, is, is a ripple effect across all the young people in the country. Now, I got a, I got a, I got a, I got a 24-year-old daughter who is just absolutely incensed by some of the stupid the absolutely stupid, imbecilic things that she's heard from uh, from people accusing uh, these young people of being crisis actors and thinking that the president's idea of putting firearms in the hands of teachers is a good idea. But, you know, 
what, and I asked her quite frankly, out in Colorado, are you seeing people marching yet? She goes, no, I'm not seeing it yet. Until you start seeing well, that can't... happen. I'll, hold on. Sharma, don't get me wrong. Uh, do I want it to happen? I absolutely do. Do I think that, that we are well overdue for change in the national dialogue and attitude toward assault weapons and high-capacity magazines and bump stocks and giving guns to people who are not mentally stable to handle them? Absolutely, I think it's time to do that. I'm just answering the question directly. I don't think tactically I'm seeing what needs to happen in order to beat down the NRA. So I think sure, we'll go ahead. And, and to kind of, yeah, to, to respond to what uh, Ken just said, I think one ki- thing these kids have that, you know, and even as the youngest member of the group, I'll tell you that they have a far higher leg up on me, is that they have social media that, you know, we see now that movements aren't so much launched by bodies huddling in a public place, that they're launched by hashtags. And so, and these kids have such a leg up and they're so savvy with social media that suddenly you don't need to have you know, crowds and crowds rallying in the public square. You need but people. You, still, you need people kind still, of rallying behind a hashtag. They've already created the Never Again hashtag, and you, you need people writing to Congress and sort of flooding social media channels. And and, and that's not you, to say that organization and sort of yeah, yes is important in spreading that, spreading the message not just from a regional base in Florida to to across the country. But you saw already that you know the students in Parkland, Florida went to Tallahassee, and some of them went to D.C., they were joined by students in Virginia, from Massachusetts, from New Jersey, from New York. And so maybe it's starting slowly. It's starting on the East Coast, and maybe in three and weeks it's Sharma, going to be West I, already. I, I, I love you, but I've been, I've been doing strategic warfare for most of the better part of the last 15 years, and, 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 and Barack Obama won by using social media. You're absolutely right, but they had a strategy. They had an organization in place and make sure that the messaging was right on target, that was concise, that got the point across, and it was well-timed. And all I'm saying is that it takes more than emotion to make it happen. That's all. At, Admiral Ken, no, Admiral that's, Ken that's let me true. just, let me just ju- hold on. Let me, Sharma, hold on. Let me, so. just, hold on. let me just jump on real quick because, Admiral Ken, I, I, I hear what you're saying. But in the 10 days or now in the almost two weeks since this shooting, I would state that whatever these students have done and are doing is working. We've seen both United and Delta Airlines pull their membership deals with the NRA. We've had a major credit card supplying bank out of Nebraska stop issuing and pull its deal from the NRA. We're seeing other companies respond in similar measure that are lined up for that, I would say whatever they're doing is working, Ken. I don't, again, I would like very much to be wrong here. I really would. That would be great for everybody if I am just completely wrong here. And I hope that I am, but I haven't seen it yet. I'm sorry. Justin? So he, here's, and here's the problem. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Alan Moore. Yeah, yeah. So I've been listening here for, for, for a while. And, uh, I think that, that Ken and Sharma are both right in that we haven't seen all that we need to see in terms of sustainability and organization. And as Sharma points out, um, remember the ground rules for sustainability uh, in ongoing pres- and, 
are different in, in a world of social media. It, it strikes me that, that maybe the answer is to enlist the Russians into this cause, get them organized because they seem to be more effective on social media than just about anybody else. And oh my God, if we could convince them it was in their interest and put turn their their uh, their little Putin their wants little, the Russian to box onto this, a lot can happen. But let me. But but another <laughs> thing that 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 the that the movement is going to need, and this is where it gets really complicated, is um, what exactly are they asking for? And and we know for a long time that the, that the NRA has this this position of saying if you're opposed to everything, then your position is pretty clear. And if every idea is is sold as a threat to uh, individual liberties, constitutional rights, God-given, excuse me, uh, rights, um, uh, according to Wayne LaPierre, um, and and uh, and the other side. You've got 25% of America that would like to ban all guns. And then you've got most of America that says, no, 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 no. We don't want to ban them. A lot of us own them. But we'd like some reasonable restraints. Or the favorite word that you hear often is common sense change. Well, yeah, but it's, uh, common sense changes with the speaker, um, uh, the, the speaker of those words. So it's, a, you know, there's... There's some stuff. When I hear Pat Roberts, a, a very conservative senator from Kansas, a man who I admire greatly, um, say, yep, let's raise the age, let's get rid of bump stocks, and, and let's tighten up the, uh, the background check system. And I'm thinking, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for the Pat Robertses of the world to reflect on all of this, um, talk to his kids, he's got grandchildren, and think, yeah. Yeah, this this has gone too far. The, the kids in Parkland were not born when Columbine occurred, and their right. whole lives they have had to pay attention to the question and have practice runs. You know, we say we haven't done anything. We since Sandy Hook, we've spent hundreds of millions of dollars hardening school sites. One of the reasons we don't have mass shootings, you know, I'm sure there's more to it than this, but one of the reasons we don't have mass shootings in urban environments is those schools are hardened. You, they're fenced, they're metal doors, there's, there's, there's uh, entrances and, and, and exits that are fairly well controlled. There's security officers there. Um, and, and, that, uh, those, that, that's uh, been the, going on long before. That, that, that's been going on well, long before Sandy Hook. Well, fair enough. But, uh, but that's but nothing start, new. You, after, but after Sandy Hook, you start building out. You go to your, I mean, I go to my hometown, in Southern California, and there's a fence around the elementary, around the middle school. Well, there wasn't a fence when I was there. Um, and, right. and uh, you know, there's, there's just enormous amounts of change that have occurred. Um, I wanted to do two things. I wanted, to, I wanted to give the president, this is so unusual, credit for having, having the listening session and leaving the cameras on the whole time. It was compelling. And he listen, you know, he seemed to be listening, and he was responding, and he, you know, he well, said he, some things he that he had to script. kind of back away a little bit from. But I want, but you yeah. know, people say, hey, that's his job. Well, it's it's it's, it's his job to, to learn and to pay attention. He doesn't. That doesn't mean he has to sit for an hour and a half on national television and run the risk that kids and parents and people who've suffered extraordinary loss uh, 
are 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 going to say things that it could be very he awkward. Followed the script. So I him, I, pardon me. What he script? followed the script. I mean, he literally what had script? in his he he, he literally had yeah, in his Justin, hand. Oh my! Now a guy's got five talking points in his hand, and you're calling it a script? Come on, Justin, you know better than that. I hear you. That's embarrassing. So, big deal. You know, he, he needs to be reminded to, to say stuff. Let's, 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 let, I, I'm so amused that people are offended because he's got some notes, and I don't know any president. No, no, no. I'm not, we're not, I'm not, I'm not like offended that, that he has have notes. A few notes. I, I have a note. So, so, I'm, not, I'm not offended so, that he, hold on, hold on, Alan. I'm not offended that he has notes. But when he has to, I mean, when this man has such a lack of empathy, when this man has such a lack of sympathy to the grave loss that these people have felt, that he has to literally have a note in his hand that says, listen, nod your head. I mean, that's just, that's, that's 101 stuff. And he has to be reminded Justin, to show compassion. Justin, you, you have clearly, on. totally gone over to the other side where you can not ever acknowledge anything that the president does that might, have, is it, that might deserve at least a minor little, hey, not bad, not bad for a change. Um, but that's anyway, not that's true. I've given the president um, a ton of credit. The other Come thing on. I, I yeah. to say one other thing. I, I, I'm, I'm with Alan here. Good wow. I, there was okay. one, other, one other thing that I wanted to say about arming teachers. We trashed that idea up one side and down the other all last week, and, and that's how I feel. And I think it's a huge mistake to talk about it as the answer and to put it up front. Having said that, I was watching, you know, on, on CBS News, a teacher in a rural uh, school in, uh, in Colorado where they have some time passed, and other ten states or so have, have have got these laws where they they allow it. And this guy was a military vet, and he carries a gun in his boot, and he it, it can't have uh, it can't be loaded. Um, and I'm thinking, and they're 25 minutes away from the close the closest uh, police station or sheriff's office. And I'm thinking, hey. Those of us who believe in local control and local decision-making might, might consider being open to the possibility that in certain circumstances, locals make a choice that makes sense for them. doesn't make sense for me. And if, it were, <laughs> if it's any school I've ever been associated with or my kids or my grandchildren, then it's like, oh, my God. But I just toss that out there. Um, Again, not because you want to lead with it, not because it's the answer, the way the way uh, uh, the NRA talks about it, but just to show a little humility. It, that's the way the, the possibility that you know sometimes though, some places, some ways, it might make a little sense. But pardon me, but Alan, that 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 is the narrative being driven by the president. I mean, it, he, I mean, it could have been a situation where the president said, you know what, let's take a look at this. This is a narrative that he is putting to the forefront. Front on at every event, including his speech at CPAC, including his speech to the governors. Uh, Which is exactly what I said, Justin. Other... I said it cannot lead, it cannot be the answer, but it's conceivable that here and there in selective situations it might be part of the answer. 
I don't know if it is or not. I'm not endorsing it. I'm just acknowledging that instead of a blanket blast, which is my tendency in which we did, I listened to what other people are saying. I thought, well, I don't know, maybe in a rural system and you don't have the money to, to harden things and you, don't, you can't afford, you, you know, you can't afford the basic education teachers, much less a, a security officer there. I don't know, maybe, maybe in a certain circumstance, it might make sense. It is grotesque to lead with it and to pretend that it becomes the answer. It is not. No, I, I, and, I agree with that. And, and I do agree with let's that. Let's also note that none of this is happening in a vacuum. There is also legislation floating its way through Congress uh, allowing full faith and credit for all concealed carry uh, permits. So meaning whatever the loosest uh, – uh, concealed carry permits there is would have to be honored by every other state. Um, so while Alan's point is correct, the to the student's point of calling BS, yeah, there's that floating out there as well. So it's it's too oh, early to say who's going to win idea. the Don't day. But it, it's, no, no, it, and, and, it, it, it's worth noting that these arguments are being had in parallel and while I'm still waiting to see what the resolution is going to be, and I'm very much on the side of the kids, uh, I, I am hardly going to suggest that the NRA and their band of, of crazy legislation is, is, is going to suddenly, uh, you know, die on the vine. They're, they're still going to continue pushing their arguments and their arguments with some significant money and in districts where there aren't, aren't a whole lot of divergent opinions that actually get, get the money to be heard. I just hope – I hope I'm wrong on this. I really hope I'm wrong on this. But here's what I see is I see a lot of talk, not a lot of action. I don't see a lot of political courage being exemplified. I will give credit to Rick Scott down in Florida. Again, not my favorite Republican governor, but uh, Rick Scott did show a little bit of uh, of, of courage in going against the NRA in his school safety bill that he promoted today. I will give another Florida Republican, uh, Carlos Curbelo, the representative from South Florida from Dade Monroe counties. I will give him credit for standing up to the, uh, the NRA and calling for a ban. And there have been others. There have been other Republicans that have shown that courage. My fear is, is that you've got a head of party that does not have any credibility. You know, the flip-flopping, we might as well just spin a roulette wheel and put money down on red two, hoping that we're going to see some sort of drive come out of this White House on this subject. And two, we've got a, a problem where until things change and until people start stepping back from it, we still are going to have an NRA and an A-plus rating that is going to drive Republican congressmen to support the NRA position rather than supporting common sense. That's my fear, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope the president does show some political courage. I hope that the, I hope Congress does put out uh, sensible gun legislation and not be tone deaf to the uh, to the voice of what Americans are saying about sensible gun control. Nobody's going to try and take away the Second Amendment. That's a garbage maneuver. But bottom line 
here is we have got to start looking at this practically or we're going to continue to see news reports of dead kids in schools. That's just the bottom line. Uh, hey, by the way, I want to commend Delta Airlines and United Airlines and uh, several other companies for going up against the NRA. Um, last, I take a shot at the lieutenant governor of Georgia and the Georgia State Legislature for saying they're going to back the NRA over Delta Airlines. The, the one doesn't come without the other. The, lieutenant governor. Yeah, lieutenant that's governor. true. I, that's true, and, and the lieutenant governor of Georgia who tweeted out he's going to block all tax incentives for Delta until they reinstate their until they reinstate their deal with the go? NRA. Justin, yeah, go ahead. Before we go, yeah, okay, go ahead. So, so I, yeah, I, ahead. I, I became a Republican. I became a Republican because of things like fiscal conservatism and um, and you know making sure we had a had a, uh, had a had a well well funded military, uh, one strong job done, and low low intrusion of government into our lives. So here is here is a guy who is uh, a, an elected uh, Republican uh, lieutenant governor of a state who's basically trying to push use government to basically drive uh, the, uh, the, the 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 wishes or the direction of a privately held business. That goes against everything that's supposed to be that, 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 that conservatism is supposed to describe. And I hope, I really, really hope that the president of Delta will call that guy uh, on the phone and say, are you really sure you want to say that to me? Because I got Dallas, I've got Charlotte, I've got Cleveland, Ohio, uh, where we went uh, for the, the convention, who would love to have us as their new hub. You really want to play this game with me, buddy? Bring it on. Well, I will tell you. I, I will tell you right now. Uh, it is. It is amazing to see that. And then again, these are also the people that support CPAC, including uh, you know people that say that we only elected Michael Steele as the chairman of the RNC because he's black. You know what, guys? Just get over yourselves. It's that's that's just stupidity. Anyway, we got the control of our Republican Party back. Bring back the party of Lincoln. That being said, on behalf of Al, Alan Moore, uh, Alan Moore, Admiral Ken Carradine, Sharma Chari, and Dan Lipner Esquire, I'm your host, moderator Justin Russell. We'll be back live next Tuesday on Blog Talk Radio from the National Capital Region, hopefully. Uh, and you can always follow us on our website, www.backroompolitics.org. You can also follow us on our Twitter feed at, uh, at Backroom Politics or on our Facebook, facebook.com slash Backroom Politics Radio. Have a great week, America. We'll see you next week. This is Backroom Politics.